give me just a minute to uh, get situated here. As many of you probably have noticed, I'm a little more vertically challenged than our brother Eugene, so uh, we'll do the best we can here. This is one tall pulpit. <laughs> That's great, though. You know, I, I have to admit, I had mentioned I'm from Arkansas, so sitting there, uh, noticing the title to the song, Arky Arky, <laughs> you can imagine what went through my head. But I'm very thankful this morning that it really wasn't about the state of Arkansas, it was more about the floody floody. Yeah, so, well, thank you again. My name is Shay Spencer. I'm the associate pastor at Shoreline Community Church. That's in North Bend. My beautiful wife, Chris, is with me this morning. And we're just delighted to be with you. Thank you so much for having us. It is truly a pleasure to be here. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about prayer. Um, prayer is important in the life of a believer. And specifically, I want to talk to you this morning about persistent prayer. The Bible has much to say about prayer from cover to cover. In fact, you'll remember after Jesus drove out the money changers, you remember that story it was when he went into the temple and drove out the money changers in Luke chapter 19, verse 45. In verse 46, he said to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer. And then he was quoting from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. Now, it's something important to point out here, at least in my opinion. Jesus did not say my house should be a house of prayer, did he? He did not say that my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. In fact, what Jesus said was, my house is a house of prayer. And the other two synoptic gospel writers both agree. Both Matthew and Mark record the words of Jesus as saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's in Matthew 21, 12 and Mark chapter 11, verse 17. So Jesus left absolutely no room for argument here just as to what the house of God is. Did he? The house of God is a house of of prayer. We need to understand, I think, as believers that prayer is just not about the words that we say. Prayer is not some kind of magic wand that we just wave toward heaven and hope everything works out. Actually, prayer is a mandate from heaven. Okay? And in our study this morning, I think we're going to find out just how God's people are to pray. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke's gospel this morning. We're going to be looking at the first eight verses of chapter 18 in the gospel of Luke. Now in this passage here in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is giving us a parable. Okay, And in fact, about one third of all of Jesus' teachings were done in parables. So you may be wondering, what is a parable? I'm sure most of you probably already know what it is, but a parable is simply this. It's a story that illustrates a truth. That's what a parable is, okay? And Jesus used parables a lot. Uh, he used a couple of different kinds of parables, in fact. One of the kinds of parables that he used is called a parable of comparison. And we actually see this kind of parable, for example, in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus gives a series of parables that all start with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, that's a parable of comparison. In these parables, Jesus tells stories that illustrate and compare to a truth about heaven. Now, the other type of parable that Jesus used is called a parable of contrast. Okay, he used this quite a bit as well. This type of parable is sometimes used to contrast the truth that he's illustrating. 
Okay, and that's going to be like in our parable today. Or, as is often the case here, Jesus uses contrasting stories within the parable to illustrate the truth that he's teaching at the time. Okay, so in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, Jesus is going to use a story about an unjust judge to illustrate what the character of God is not like. Okay, and the persistence of a widow to illustrate what the prayers of his people should be like. So we see the contrast and in this parable. So what I want to do right now, let's just go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the word. We'll go through this parable verse by verse. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for this beautiful morning that you have made for us to come and gather in this place and worship your holy name. Lord, you are worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy of all of our thanksgiving. Lord, everything that is good in our life has come from you, and we want to say thank you this morning. Thank you for the word that you have preserved throughout time. Lord, you tell us in Psalm 119 that your word is settled in heaven. And so we know that your word is eternal. And so that it's true. It's a foundation that we can build our life on. So as we go through this word, your word, this morning, Lord, please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us to understand exactly what it is that you have for us this morning. We ask it in faith. And we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. I'll go ahead and read it out loud. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible this morning. It says this, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Amen. So starting in verse 1, which again says he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So right here off the bat in verse 1, we see the primary reason for this parable, okay? And that's this, that we should always pray, right? This is the time frame, in other words, that Jesus gives us for our prayer life, always. I mean, how often do we think of prayer as our, as our greatest need or even our first response? How often do we do that? Maybe from time to time, we could say that we do that, but Jesus tells us that we should pray always. And so what does that mean? What does it mean for us to pray Always. Paul said something very similar in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, when he said that we are to pray without ceasing. And you read that and you think, how in the world can we possibly do that? Right? And most of us have jobs, right? Most of us have kids, or some of us do, but we all have responsibilities in one way or another. So how in the world can we always be in prayer? Well, what I believe that both Jesus and Paul are getting at here, what they're teaching us is that we are to have a constant attitude of prayer, okay? You see, prayer is more about our heart, isn't it, than it is about the words 
that we say. It's about the condition of our heart toward heaven, toward God. We can talk to God on a consistent basis, but the condition of our heart should be one of constant fellowship and constant prayer with him. After all, prayer is fellowship with God, right? So I don't want you to get confused here, okay? God does not want us to have consistent fellowship with him or consistent prayer with him. That's not what Jesus is teaching at all. He wants us to have constant fellowship and prayer with him. And you may say, well, what's the difference? I think that's a good question, but I want you to think about it like this, okay? Consistent fellowship with God could mean that I only pray every other Tuesday, right? That's consistent. I could pray once a month and be consistent about that, couldn't I? You say, well, I don't, I don't pray much, but at least I'm consistent. That's how you would look at that. I've heard people tell me that, you know what? I'm just having trouble being consistent in my walk with the Lord. When what they really mean to say is that I'm having trouble being constant in my walk with the Lord. And my friends, that is a big, big difference. I can be consistent in my prayer life if I only pray one time a year. But I do it every year. That is consistency, okay? However, I cannot be constant in my prayer life unless I am always praying, right? Jesus said that men always ought to pray. That's what he said. So stay in a constant attitude of prayer, believer, and don't get distracted. If what you're about to do will cause you to leave your conversation with God, then don't do it. It's not worth doing, okay? He is your full-time Lord. He is your full-time Savior. So don't deal with God on a part-time basis, right? Jesus also said that we should not lose heart when we pray. Has anyone ever lost heart when you prayed? Yeah. I mean, I think if we're honest, we could all raise our hand here, right? Prayer can be very, very difficult. But hear this this morning. Constant prayer can also be very encouraging, in the life of the believer. And moreover, constant prayer is also a reflection of our faith. And we're going to see more about that in verse 8 when we get there. But you know, usually discouragement comes when we stop praying. Okay? When we give up. When we just assume that the answer is no. Right? Or whatever other excuse that we want to use to stop praying. But too often, here's the problem. We think that answered prayer is simply getting what we want. So please do not fall into that trap as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Don't falsely believe that prayer is all about you. Okay? This parable that we're looking at today is unique to the Gospel of Luke, by the way. Okay, that's the only place you're going to find it. But in context, this is interesting. Jesus has been talking about his return. And he's doing that in the context of prayer. So what is Jesus teaching us here? Well, I think it's that constant prayer will condition our hearts for his return. So that we will be ready when he comes, right? So that we'll be ready, so that our focus will be on him. Our focus will be on his kingdom, not on ourselves, not on the things of this world. No, that's what I mean when I say prayer is not all about us. Jesus is teaching us how to pray in the context of his return. So again, don't get distracted. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, because you know what? There's going to be a lot of trials that happen between his first and second coming, 
right? So don't lose heart, Jesus said. I'm coming. Verse 2, saying that there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So the judge here was the person obviously with authority in this community. He had the authority to bring justice. He was the administer of truth, you could say. And so here Jesus contrasts the character of this judge with his own. Okay, the word says that this judge did not fear God nor regard man. Now, somebody tell me, what were the two commandments that Jesus gave? You can say it. Love God. Love your neighbor, right? Basically, those two. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love the na- your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Jesus said, you shall do these things. And this judge right here, he had no regard for either one of them, did he? Look at verse 3. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. So it's important that this lady was a widow. That's an important part of the story. I think it's important to note that. Uh, Here's something else important about widows. Luke writes about widows more than all of the other gospel writers combined. Some six different times in his gospel, he writes about widows. Here's what we can learn from that. God cares about widows and he instructs his people to take care of them we see it all throughout scripture i have a list as long as my arm here if you'd like me to give it to you after the service i'd be happy to do that but god cares for the widow and he expects his church to take care of them and during this time here where jesus is speaking especially a widow had no power in this day and time according to the law even Okay, so this lady here was essentially helpless, completely helpless. She had no husband. She had no one to be her advocate whatsoever. But here's what I want you to know this morning. We are just like the widow in this parable. Okay, we have absolutely no power apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, do we? He alone is our advocate. And I want you to notice something else about the character of this helpless widow here in verse 3. She did not get discouraged. Did she listen to what Jesus is teaching us here? We can learn something here. This widow kept coming back to the judge time after time after time seeking justice. Why? Because she knew that the only one could help was this unjust judge. So she was persistent in coming to him for that help. But hear this. okay? how much greater, how much greater is our hope in our judge who is just? How much greater is our hope? Do you see the contrast now? As believers, we have the confidence of knowing that our God hears us the very first time that we pray. And he never, ever grows weary of hearing our prayers. Look, I don't know who this widow, uh, who her adversary was. I don't know what the issue was necessarily. Scripture doesn't indicate that. But I know this, your adversary and my adversary is the devil. Okay? And he was defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. And now Christ is risen. He is at the right hand of God and he makes intercession for his children. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 34. So do you know what that means this morning, believer? The word intercession literally means to light upon a person. 
or to meet a person for the purpose of conversation. That's what that means. My friend, your Savior wants to hear from you. He wants to fellowship with you. Charles Spurgeon said this, He is more ready to hear than you are to ask. He said, The sun is not weary of shining, nor the fountain of flowing. And to that I say, Amen. The sun never ever gets tired of rising in the east and setting in the west, right? Just like golden and silver falls right out here never get tired of flowing off the top of that mountain, do they? Our God never ever gets tired of hearing our prayers. In other words, keep praying. Your God does not get tired of hearing your voice. Now I want you to look at the word came here in verse 3. The word says that she came to him. And the Greek word for this is erketo, okay? This word erketo in the Greek was also written in the imperfect tense in the original language, which implies that this widow was very persistent. In other words, she kept coming before the judge. It was frequent. It was again and again. It was time after time. This lady was relentless, okay? So what effect did that have on this unjust judge? Look at verse 4. It says, and he would not, speaking of give her justice, so he would not give her justice for a while. Now again, this is the contrast that Jesus draws out between an unjust judge and a righteous God. God is willing to listen. God does listen to you always, each and every time that we pray. However, the unjust judge in this situation, he wasn't moved by the widow's situation one iota. Not in the least, right? He didn't care about her. The only thing that he cared about was himself. But again, the contrast here is this. God cares for you, doesn't he? Absolutely. Never, ever forget that simple truth, believer. Let's continue on in verse 4. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God or regard man. <laughs> Every time I read that, this cracks me up, okay? I mean, at least the guy was honest, right? I mean, at least he was honest. This was an unjust judge, but he was an honest judge. He didn't care about anything. He didn't care about God or man or whatever. He only cared about himself. Look at verse 5. Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So the focus should be on the persistence of the widow here, not on the judge's inability to cope with it. Okay? The contrast here is that our God does not faint. Our God does not grow weary. That's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. So please understand this morning, if you're a Christian, you do not trouble God. You do not trouble Him. He is not bothered by your prayers. He is not bothered by your petitions. Not at all. In fact, He is delighted by them. Listen to this from Psalm chapter 16, verse 3. The Word says, As for the saints who are on the earth, that's us. They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Wow, what a contrast. The unjust judge was growing weary of these widows continually coming, the word says. He got tired of her persistence. I want to look at the, the structure of the, the last part of this verse here in verse 5 where it says, lest by her continual coming she weary me because this phrase is very, very interesting in the way that it was written in the original language. J. Vernon McGee points this out. And he says that this phrase here literally reads in verse 5, it's the last part, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Here's how it reads in the Greek. I must see her lest she give me a black eye. That's how it reads. 
Now, I love J. Vernon McGee. I trust the man, but I had to go check this out myself. And that's what it says. That's what it literally says. I must see her lest she give me a black eye. But it's interesting because it doesn't seem like there's a real threat here from this widow, really, at all. I mean, what could it possibly mean? Nothing in this verse suggests that this widow was violent or a brawler or anything of the sort, right? So what's it saying? Well, I think it's probably where we get our figurative saying, don't give me a black eye, when we refer to someone's reputation. Right? It's figurative language. This judge probably thought that it was a bad look for him to have this widow continue to come back day after day after day. I mean, it could have very easily given his reputation a black eye in this community, right? But again, look at the contrast. Listen, your God is not embarrassed of you. My friend, Jesus Christ hung on a cross for you. Openly, in public, unashamed. The word of God tells us that he was bruised for our iniquities, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he wasn't worried about us giving his reputation a black eye. So look here, your Savior is not ashamed of you. Your Savior is not annoyed by you. He loves you and he wants to hear from you. Verse 6, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Okay, so what did he say essentially? He said, all right, I'll give her justice. I'm going to go ahead and avenge her. And then in verse 7, Jesus begins to tell us what God will do. Verse 7, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Remember, day and night, that's constantly. Though he bears long with them. Jesus is saying, if an ungodly judge will give justice to a lowly widow, do you not think that God will grant justice to his people? Of course he will. Of course he will. And guess what? He won't be unwilling for a while to do it, will he? And so the obvious idea here is that we, as God's children, need to be just as persistent in coming to our gracious and our loving and our just God in prayer with our needs, with our cries for justice and so on, as this widow was in coming to the judge who was unjust. That's the point here. And here's the good news. Here's the promise that you have, believer. The good news is that God will not delay in bringing justice and he will not be unwilling to grant it. He will avenge you. That's a promise. Look at verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, the word says. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So I want you to please hear the point of this parable this morning. Don't miss it. The context of this parable is the return of Jesus Christ. It's about his kingdom. Okay, Jesus is saying, when the Son of Man comes, justice will be swift. Now, it doesn't mean that he's coming today. It's not talking about speed like that, although he most certainly could. It simply means that when he comes, he will avenge his enemies with speed. Okay, it won't take long and it'll be over. Therefore, when he comes, will he find the kind of faith from his people that the widow displayed in her persistence with this judge? I think that's a good question. Essentially, the ball is in our court now, isn't it? 
I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a parable on prayer in the context of his soon return, and then he ends his teaching with a question. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And then he lets it linger. He lets us ponder. He makes us think about that. Do I really have faith? I mean, is my voice familiar in the throne room of heaven? Am I persistent? Are my prayers all about me? Am I conceited? Am I selfish when I pray? Do I always ask, but never listen? Am I merely consistent in my prayer life? Or am I constantly in an attitude of prayer and fellowship with my Savior? So as to condition my heart for heaven. Do I pray with a heart that's longing to see Jesus? Do I eagerly watch for his return? My friends, Jesus Christ is coming. He said when, not if. And he wants to find real faith when he gets here. So what's it going to be, church? Our Savior asked us a question, didn't he? We have a decision to make. The choice is ours. We can give up. We can get discouraged. We can stop praying. We can stop believing. We can stop persisting. Or we can get on our face before God in faith and keep petitioning him to hear us. We can keep begging him to forgive us, to help us. Lord, heal us. And continue to conform us into the people of faith that you want to find when you get here. Our Lord wants us to be persistent in our prayer life. He wants constant communication and fellowship with his people. Constant fellowship and prayer. So you know what? I say this. I say let's do it. Let's do that. Let's get our eyes off of this world and get them squarely up on the Lord Jesus Christ. I say let's live every moment of every day by faith, looking and watching for his return, expecting that. Church, let's be found faithful when he comes. Can we do that? And then let's pray like he's coming to take us home today. I'm sure the fellowship meal is going to be great. But I'd rather be in heaven. I don't know about you. I would love it if Jesus don't come back before lunch. Maybe he'll come back before dinner. <laughs> you know, in two days, our country is going to hold what many believe to be the most significant election in the history of our nation. And I know several Christians who are very, very worried and concerned about that. But I want you to hear me this morning. At any moment, the King of Kings... And the Lord of Lords could call his church home. How many people are worried about that? What will he find? What will he find? Will he find a church that is fretting 
and fearful? Or will he find faith? Father, we love you and thank you so much for this time in your word. Thank you for this parable on prayer. Thank you for the persistence that we see in the widow and help us, Lord, convict us to be a people of prayer. Your house is a house of prayer. That's what you said it was. And Lord, we don't want to conduct ourselves any differently. So Lord, challenge us through the convicting power of your Holy Spirit to be a people of prayer, to be a people who walk by faith and live every day by faith so that you will find real faith on this earth when you get here. We thank you, Lord, for the contrast that we see in the character of this unjust judge versus the character of our very good God. Lord, you are good. You have given us more than we could ever ask or think. And we thank you for that. Lord, you have given us forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. You have given us eternal hope through the miracle of And the power of his resurrection. Lord we look forward to heaven. The spirit and the bride say come. So Lord we look forward to your return. But until you get here help us to be faithful. Help us to be a people who pray. If there's anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be the day that that changes for you that you would confess your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you do that, you'll be saved. That's what the Word of God says. You don't have to trust a feeling. You don't have to look for a sign. You can trust the eternal Word of God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Thank you for the promises that we have in Scripture, Lord. We love you. Thank you for this church here at Allegheny, for what you have done to sustain it throughout all of the years. The lighthouse that's on the hill out here in this community, shining bright, proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Please continue to sustain them. Please bring them and call the pastor you have for this church to continue to labor in the ministry with them. We love you, Lord. You are so good. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.